This was my sermon from August 30th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. It's entitled, No Way You're Going to Do That, by Reverend Joshua Bell. My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew as we continue our discussion in the lectionary text from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 17 in the New Testament section. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what he has done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. What began in last week's lesson with a powerful and bold confession of, Je of who Jesus is, Peter proclaims, you are the Messiah. Now comes unraveled in the blink of an eye, in the light of Peter's response to Jesus' announcement, Jesus breaks the silence about his imminent future that he must go to Jerusalem and there undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And, as he always says, and for some reason they don't ever hear, and on the third day, be raised. So the reader, us, now has to reassess the impact of such a bold and clear statement of who Jesus is in light of one who chooses rather than avoids suffering. You know, I have, I have some thoughts about this passage of Scripture because... We've talked about this passage of Scripture before when I read it from Luke or from Mark. 
And I've always talked about it in the sense that when Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, he's talking about the impetus of what Peter is trying to do. Not that he's calling Peter Satan. He's saying the act of what he's doing is Satan. Here in this moment, we have this what we call synoptic gospel passion prediction. In the three gospels that we call the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about this. Matthew and Luke incorporate the, the, the Mark in passion. With Matthew, he adds an extra one in chapter 26, verse 2. Now, in view of the first century Jewish understanding of that rejection, suffering, and death, that it belonged to a true prophet. Not to mention, we have to recognize and call upon what just happened to John the Baptist with his brutal murder. He is presented in such a way that he is like Elijah, John the Baptist, not Jesus. Now we need to understand a little bit about this conversation. As we talked about in my Sunday school and in the 815 class, this idea of Jesus being called the Messiah by Peter is not some sort of happenstance. It's a real thing. It's a moment where Peter recognizes for the first time that Jesus isn't just a Mashiach, he is the last Mashiach. And that when he calls him the Son of Man, it is for all of humanity. This hero amongst human beings. This person that will bring everybody back into the full grace of God. The chesed, the covenant of understanding with God. Peter recognizes that Jesus is that Mashiach and there's not a need for another one. This is powerful, you see. For in their culture, they've had Mashiachs that have come and gone. And they don't call him a Mashiach until after they have died. It's something that's it's an honorary term. But in this moment, Peter is calling Jesus the Mashiach during his life. And proclaiming him as something different. A child of man. A human being just like the rest of us. But not. You see, Peter's objection to Jesus' suffering, it can be understood as either a very deep personal love for Jesus or a very inaccurate idea of his messiahship. I think sometimes the commentators get it right that on the heels of the, the confession of Peter, Peter's objection is not so much personal, but maybe more of a rather theologically skewed view of messiahship. You see, for them, this idea of Jesus becoming the Messiah or the Messiah is saying that there's something that makes Jesus different than all of human, humanity. And then, in the very next phrase, Jesus, standing in front of all of the people, says there's going to be a time when the people that are in leadership of the institution are going to make me suffer. And ultimately, they're going to kill me. You remember John the Baptist, my cousin? They killed him too. And Jesus says to them, but I will raise in three days. 
There has to be some confusion. And Peter reaches out to him and says, Jesus, don't, don't say that. What are you doing? You just gave them the ammunition that they need to kill, him, kill you. Peter becomes us, you see. When he says, get thee behind me, Satan, in Matthew's text, it's a lot more gentle than it is in Mark and Luke. It's, it's, it's a way of saying this in such a way that he challenges the people. Matthew says over and over again that there's a moment here that we find in history that this is Matthew's call to arms. If you are willing to die for what you believe in. Now, when I was in seminary, this was... This would have been the opportunity that I would have used to say, this is your proof that Matthew was written closer to the end of the first century because after the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, Christians and Jews and all of these people that are now professing Jesus as Lord or Savior are struggling with what does that mean? The same way that we do. When we talked about this last week and I said that Jesus is professed to be the Messiah and in the very next page today, we're talking about he recognizes this but then tells Jesus to shush for the fear of his life. It's the same thing that we do. It's the same way that we refer to God. It makes us refer to and ask the question, what activities and attitudes are at the heart of what it means to be a Christian disciple. Our world has so many talking heads. It's so loud outside. It's so noisy with the voices that are proclaiming ownership. What would it look like if we were to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah and then have the audacity to stand up there for what it is that we believed in in such a way that did what? Loved our neighbor. You see, when Peter proclaims Jesus as Messiah, it's a challenge for us to understand what that means today. This has nothing to do with the issues of humanity, you understand. You can't go even into Brahms without hearing the voices of people inside their heads, right? You can't go to the grocery store without people looking at you and hearing the voices of what's going on in the world in their heads. You have your own voices inside your heads that are screaming at the same time, competing with the voices that are not being spoken out loud. And let's just forget social media for just a moment and look at the idea of how we treat each other as human beings. When we proclaim Jesus as Messiah, our world is different. We are putting on the mantle of Christianity. The way that we refer to the things of humanity are not the same as the way the world does. Which is why Jesus rebukes Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. 
I don't care what the elders and scribes and Pharisees are going to do to me or the chief priests. This is my calling. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be raised up in three days. He doesn't care about the practices of humanity. He cares about the ways that we have to follow in his footsteps as Messiah. So what does it mean when when Jesus says to give up one's life? What does it mean for a Christian to forfeit his or her life? What might tempt people to lose their life or exchange their soul? I I think about this a lot. I, I, I never had the opportunity to serve in the military, but a lot of my family did. And I know a lot of you have, and I know a lot of your family has. And this idea of being able to give up their life for the idea of the United States. The concepts of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Willing to give their life on behalf of that. This is deeper than that statement. Is what Jesus is saying. To be a Christian, to be able to forfeit one's life in the name of Christ. Man, what does that look like? What might tempt people to lose their life in the midst of this noise of the world? Unfortunately, I think a lot of us, it's easier for us to forfeit our soul. I think it's easier for us to to just walk away while we see injustice while we see hate, while we spew anger. The things of the world are not concerns of God. The concerns are, how do we treat each other in the name of Jesus the Messiah? It's almost as if you could say, it's almost as if Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, there's no way. You're going to stop this. There's no way you're going to do that. There's nothing you can do to stop the Pharisees and the elders and the scribes. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be raised in three days. It makes us question when and how did we come to recognize Jesus as our Mashiach. When did we know at the depths of our soul that this human being that we proclaim, that we talk about, that we pray to, that we walk in the footsteps of, how did we know that that was our Messiah? And then once we acknowledge that, did we follow in the footsteps of Peter or Andrew or James or John or any of the 12 disciples. Yes, we did. And we stumbled right alongside them, right? We, we find ourselves recognizing that when that moment came and we put on that mantle, we were no longer worried or concerned of the things of the world. We were only concerned about each other. Creations of God. All of those that draw breath. Listen to verse 24 one more time. 
If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. In between the voices of the world, we find ourselves rather narcissistic. You realize that it's only been a couple hundred years that you started to hear people proclaim things as theirs. My land, my family, my money, my God, my church. That goes completely against this contradictory statement from Jesus. If one denies oneself, we don't own anything that is ours. It is all God. So how does it strike home to us now? Do you still profess that Jesus is your Messiah? Let's look at verse 26. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? You see, this isn't talking about money, people. It is, yes, it talks about finances, sure. But this isn't talking about that. This is the way that we gain trust and love and compassion with all those that draw breath. It's a great statement. What will it profit them if they gain the whole world, if they become the most popular, most successful leader of all time, but they forfeit their own life? You know, the life that Jesus gives to us when we proclaim him as Messiah. The mantle of Christianity that teaches us to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those that are sick and in prison. The words of Jesus that says to love your neighbor as yourself and to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, strength, mind, and soul. How does that change and influence the way that we make our own priorities? The struggle that we have today is, is that it's not necessarily the worldly voices that are crowding our minds, it's our own. You see, I say this quite a bit, and I don't know if anybody ever catches it, but the goal here is, is that we are to listen to that still small voice. That still small voice of God. You know the voice that I'm talking about, you hear it when you're at Brahms and you see someone struggling and you walk on by. It's when you hear that still small voice in the back of your head when you're in Homeland and you see that someone is having a really bad day and you don't check on them. It's that still small voice that's been going through your head since March and you say, Oh, I wonder how this person is doing, and you haven't even picked up the phone to call and find out on your own. You see, as a community of faith, that's 
our responsibility to check in on one another, to check in on our neighbors, to check in on one another, to show that love, to forfeit our life. What do you give in return for that life? Yeah, money could be a part of this discussion. But the hardest part, the hardest part about being a Christian is to put ourselves aside and look at the needs of others. How do you do that when you're a part of the loud voices? How do you do that when you're not listening to the still small voice in the back of your head that says, I know that person needs some food. I know I haven't checked on this person. I, I used this analogy in the first service. I know that this person in my family I might not be able to get along with, but it's my job to make sure that they're okay. I don't want to be my brother's keeper, but I am. It's my responsibility because I've declared the Lord Jesus as my Messiah. When we do that, there's no turning back. There's no way of changing this idea. You are proclaiming to the world that you don't care about what the world thinks. You care about what God does. We're not doing this for accolades. But like the Mashiachs of old, when they were labeled Mashiachs after they had died, we want that moment, not for our own accolade, that to be able at, at that last moment of our last breath, before we pass on into something greater, we want that last moment to hear that still small voice in the back of our head reach down into our guts and feel it with our fiber of every fiber of our being as God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Not for the world's accolades you see, but for God's. When you declare Jesus as the Mashiach, there's no way you're going to participate in the voices of the world. You are going to be a non-anxious presence. You are going to make an influence in the world by your actions, your words, and your deeds. And maybe, just maybe, that final precipice of existence, we hear the whisper of God. Good, faithful servant. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, normally this is where the sermon would end. But this day, one of our regular members was having kind of a hard day and asked the question, Josh, you talk about how we're having such a good time and we should be peaceful and we should try to find God in the midst of this, but how do we do it? when our world seems to be crashing down on us. And with all heartfelt humility, I gave the best answer that I possibly could. And even in the midst of you listening to this recording, I still feel like some of it was cliched, 
but it was the best answer I could think of at that exact moment. So his questions are a little hard to hear, but hopefully you'll be able to hear the question enough that you can hear uh, how my response goes. We keep trying. I don't want to be cliche and I don't want to give you a fake answer and says, oh, well, if I just turn it off and then everything's going to be better. We keep trying. We keep trying and when we fail and we feel like our whole world is falling apart, we lean on each other. I, I have to believe that. I have to believe that in the midst of all the pain and the suffering of our life and where all of the anxiety comes from, we have this moment, this place, this, this place that is quiet, where the rest of the world is loud. And we pray, and we do the things that we can and have control over, like coming to church, praying for one another, taking care of one another. It's like when you come and you say, Josh, I want to help you, and I say, absolutely, and you do it without even blinking an eye. That's that moment that we feel the presence of God. And Frankly, there are bad days, and there's a lot of them here lately, right? And there's moments that we have to be here for each other, and this is that place. Find that comfort to give us the encouragement and the challenge of life, even when the dark storms of life take over. God will always be there. And we're here for you, too. You know, I, I kind of like you a lot. Yeah. No problem, brother.